I'm Caleb True, and this is the Dynamo Verlag podcast. Dynamo Verlag is a boutique publisher of poetry and fiction, demonstrating genius, eclecticism, and originality. On this podcast, we interview awesome writers and poets, and they share selections from their work. On today's episode, I talk to the writer and director Logan Garrity, whose debut film, Pool Party 15, is an ambitious and clever indie film about aging hipsters in Los Angeles' Echo Park neighborhood, getting together for what is supposed to be an idyllic afternoon by the pool. In pitching the film, Logan used to describe the movie as a coming-of-age film for people who should have already come of age. Pool Party 15 is available on Amazon Prime. Here's Logan. I'm a screenwriter, a director, and I guess I grew up in um, well, Western Massachusetts, small rural town, um, went to college in a fairly small town in Ohio, and then uh, soon after college, I moved out to Los Angeles where I met you through one of my best friends from uh, high school and growing up, uh, was your roommate at the time, mm-hmm. and so I kind of followed him out here. He, him and you at the time were more into music. I was trying to write. I was... I don't know, when I was a kid, I always thought I wanted to be a writer. I'm not really sure where it came from. I don't know if it was just something that expressed a little interest in, and my parents liked the idea, so I liked the idea. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then in high school, I would take creative writing classes. College, I took creative writing classes. And then when I was first out here, I was trying to write prose, but and I know you can do it, but I just have such a hard time writing prose, and I just get so caught up in describing scenes and stuff in a way that writing a script just flows, and I think I just see things I'm from like the creative side, way more in terms of like what a movie should look like rather than what a book should look like. That's um, that's a whole other skill set. I, I feel like I've always written books like they're movies. But... <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I would have the same problem, and I would kind of be like just writing over since I was describing a movie I was seeing. I was like, wait, this isn't working. And then suddenly I was like, oh, I can just write scripts instead, and then we can make them, and it made it a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, no, that's super cool. What were some of your favorite books growing up? Um, I'm trying to think, like, as a kid, I remember, um, I just trying to think, the Red Wall, when I was a young kid, the Red Wall books, I don't know if you ever read those, the mice and fighting the rats, mm-hmm. trying to think, I was, I think my mom read the first few of those to me, and then I would just read the rest of them, we would go to the school library over the summer, get the newest ones, we were deep into the Red Wall series, like, third, fourth, fifth grade, I remember, a lot of my <laughs> friends were talking about it, excited, all the, and now I look bad, of course, like, all the stuff, they're just eating all this great food, there's fun fights, like, just all the stuff <laughs> I like in stories now was yeah. there, too, so. Oh, man, yeah, that's pretty funny, that's cool, formative, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just the details of them, just these, like, feasts that would go on for pages, eating all this stuff. I'm sure it doesn't even taste good, like almond butter or, like, nuts, because they're just little mice. But yeah. That's pretty funny. What were your, some of your favorite movies growing up? Oh, yeah, I mean, for me, like, back when I was a kid, it, and I actually just rewatched them over uh, Christmas, it was the original Star Wars trilogy. I was I was diehard Star Wars fan growing up. I loved those three movies. Yeah. I watched them all the time. I had the toys, read books about them. I don't know, I was deep into them. And I hadn't seen them in, like, 10, 15 years, and I just rewatched them. I was like, oh, yeah, they're, especially the first two are just really good movies. Yeah. I don't know, I was into action movies, too, like the yeah. Indiana Jones. I love, we had a... The third one, I think, uh, Last Crusade on yeah. VHS, and I watched that movie over and over and over to like quote it endlessly. Yeah, I um, rewatched Empire uh, pretty recently. Um, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. And uh, what like the thing about like probably why a lot of people think of that as the best one, um, man. Every single shot looks like a painting. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I, I didn't even realize this. I think this is probably the first time I saw it in, like, high definition. Mm-hmm. But the actual, the, the paintings they use in the background are just gorgeous. Like, it's mm-hmm. matte, like, all the Cloud City matte paintings they used, oh. that's just, they, those are paintings, and they're gorgeous. And, oh, I mean, I was watching them on a VHS growing up. I didn't see it on the big screen. And now, when I'm watching my computer, but it's high def, and I'm seeing all those details I never saw it. Yeah, it's, they're at, that movie especially, Empire, just the colors in it, everything mm-hmm. in Cloud City with the oranges and then the blues, it's, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, so is Dagobah also a combination of on-site and, and um, paintings? I think so. I'm not, I wouldn't know. I, I was more just picking up on this this time because I was actually seeing them. I and mean, I didn't yeah. notice any in Dagobah, but I would, wouldn't be surprised if they were doing some mixture of the two throughout all of it. Yeah, yeah. 
this Dagobah, like, so much of that's so visceral that it's like, I, that can't all just be, like, a, a set, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. I actually have no idea. I wonder if they shot that out in a real swamp. I actually have no yeah. idea. After this taunt, <laughs> I'm sure I'd be going to research that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, those are formative. Anyone who grew up with those, I think, has a much different relationship to them than people who are coming Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> re-releases and all this garbage, you know. So you definitely were more thinking of yourself as, as a writer and maybe not yet as a director when you were younger, is that? Oh, yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I don't okay. think I really understood what a director was. I didn't really know. I mean, I kind of, like, loosely understood the idea, especially as I got more into high school. I was watching more, like, quote-unquote serious movies and stuff and would, like, mm -hmm. think about it. Or but I just I was watching, like, Aliens. I was like, well, this is a Cameron movie, but the first yeah. Alien, that's a Ridley Scott movie. So I knew that. At least I could talk about it. But I wasn't thinking about it. I mean, I liked movies. I, I mean, I, especially in high school, I was watching a bunch of them, but I never thought of myself as that something I could do. Right. I thought I'd have to go to film school, and, and that was just not really a path. I was like, I don't want to make a decision about my career at 18, so I'm not going to go to film school. And I was just like, well, that means I'm not going to make movies. That's okay. I'll take some creative writing classes. Maybe I'll write. Maybe I won't. Yeah. Crazy, I think... Just to the idea of wanting to make movies because it seems like such a, I mean, it's not just one thing. It's like four things. It's music. Oh, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's acting. It's writing. It's visual. Like it's photography. It's, it's every medium at once, which is wild. Right. And then, I mean, and then you don't even, and the editing is, that's an entirely separate art process. That's, yeah. I mean, we were involved in the editing on our first movie, but we had an editor. He did most of the work, just set it up and stuff. You just have a whole nother, in a way that I know pros, people edit and stuff, but it's not like. I, actually, I, I'm probably underrated. It is an art form in itself in prose, too. But it's, I think, a little different where they're actually choosing like how to cut it directly. And then you, can, you have input. At least for us, we had input because it was our movie. But if you're on a big studio movie, a lot of time the editor just does a lot of that without input from the director. Yeah. It's interesting how so much of big movies is out of any single person's hands. Right. For good and for, and I mean, even on ours, which was, ours was a tiny movie and we were, but even us, there was a lot of decisions, a lot of stuff that wasn't out of our hands. We we're just not done by us. Other people, we were just working with talented people. They were just like, yeah. this shot looks good. We're like, yeah, it looks good. Let's do it. You know, like they were able to like help add. Yeah, it is very much a collaborative art form. I, obviously, for someone who wants to be in complete control, it can be frustrating, but it's also yeah. like kind of liberated. It's fun. And even now when I'm watching movies, pick up on different parts, we're like, oh, this person must have done this. And they came together to create this greater whole. And that's, I think that's really cool and fun when it really works. I'm always impressed when collaborations are successful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what, what what was the size of the team with, with uh, your first movie? Uh, it was myself and then uh, Kevin, who you know, we um, wrote and directed it together. So there's the two of us. Then we had, two producers who were friends from the neighborhood then we had a uh, director of photography on set every day then we had a sound guy on set every day and then we had an editor and then we had an assistant uh, camera person on a couple days for more tricky shots mm -hmm. and then we had a couple crew people uh friends helping out would kind of help his crew we had a couple interns from what like one of our producers knew some young people in the who were trying to break in they helped us out for a few days were super helpful mm -hmm. and then we had a color and at the very end we had someone color the movie like color correct it uh. and then uh do sound uh, correction as well so all of those like those color and sound editors at the end that is such a specialization that it's like valuable to have a whole a person just devoted straight all to that oh absolutely and i think like a lot yeah. of editors will do color editing or not and they, they're similar skills but yeah. it is yeah it's a separate thing and for at least for us it was like it was easier for us to just have another person do it rather than our regular editor that's yeah that's a, that's so impressive that's crazy I'm sure, like, I mean, I guess it's similar to, well, I talked to you and Paul about mastering music and stuff. There's all these steps I wouldn't even think of when you're making music that you have to do. So I imagine it's sure. a similar type vibe. But. And you also, there's music in, so before we get to go too far, like, we should probably introduce this movie. It's called, oh, yeah. <laughs> or you can go ahead and introduce it. I mean, yeah, it's a Pool Party 15. We always describe it as a fun pool party movie. But <laughs> it, and it's, I mean, it's basically just... Not directly based on a true story, but we filmed it at a pool we used to hang out at a bunch. It's about a group of, let's say, late 20, early 30-somethings kind of hanging out and trying to make connections, not really always being successful. And the way we like, a pithy way of saying it, we always say it's a coming-of-age movie for people who should have already came of age. But that's, <laughs> that's a little bit more like, maybe a little more flippant than we want it to be, but that we would always say that as like our pitch when we were talking to people. Pretty good. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good short pitch. Uh, more So very important to this movie, though, is the fact that it's, it's Los Angeles is, is a big character in this movie. 
Oh, okay. absolutely, yeah. And Echo Park, maybe even specifically too, right? Yeah, definitely. While the movie itself takes place up in Altadena, mm -hmm. it is everyone in the movie lives in, or the, all the main group lives in Echo Park or lives in Silver Lake. Yeah. They are, yeah, it is definitely the vibe. We were trying to create that sense of community, yeah. trying to create the sense that they all know each other, they all live around each other. There's a couple times they reference other people who aren't there, yeah. and that was about to just create this like bigger world of this like very particular Echo Park music adjacent scene. Yes. And that's, I mean, I think that's important. And a lot, I think a lot of people, even now, probably have some kind of, uh, even if it's a very, like, niche uh, idea of what, what that means, like Silver Lake Los Angeles or Echo Park right, Los yeah. Angeles as, like, a second, um, you know, Williamsburg or something. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, like, it's a place where a lot of young people, a lot of people trying to do something, either music or, or film or acting or, um, yeah, writing, I guess, but maybe less so than those other two. Things. Right, and that's, I mean, and as you know, the area, as you used to live here, it's yeah. so funny because I came out here, I wasn't trying, I didn't come here to do anything in particular. I just came out here because I graduated college, I needed somewhere to go. Yeah. Uh, my good friend Paul was out here, I figured, seemed good. But then, because I was in such an area where there are talented, creative people, it was as soon as we were writing this script, we were like, wait, we could actually make this movie because we know people we can work with, or we don't directly yeah. know them. We know someone who knows someone who wants to jump on it. Like our uh, camera guy, super talented guy, and he was willing to work for with us because he wanted to do a full feature. He was excited by the project. He had, I think he had, had one or two features under his belt before, but he wanted another one, and he was excited to work with us. It was just a friend of a friend, and it just came together. So stuff like that. That was part of the fun of, is the fun of living here. We don't quite go after that in the script, but we, I guess there's some of that at play as well. Yeah, what a trick that is to um, realize that you can actually make a thing, something as complicated as a film. That's, yeah, that's really, uh, that's really impressive and really wonderful that that can happen. Yeah, it just came together. And I mean, through our work, but just through the work of a lot of people who just believed in this project. And that's super excited. And it's, I mean, it's like scary and weird, but it's also really exciting and cool. Yeah. Absolutely. So you, um, so you and Kevin co-wrote the script, right? Yeah, hundred percent. So yeah. how? I'm, I'm, uh, so as someone who like doesn't really collaborate with on writing, uh, I don't know if I've ever done it actually at all. Uh, how how did that process work? What's well, interesting, like I collaborate with other people and other stuff, and it's gonna be completely different. But with Kevin, yeah. he would just I would get home from work, he would come over, we would sit for an hour and a half or so, and we would just kind of write it line by line, being like, oh, what do we need here? What do we need here? We'd be like texting throughout the day or G-chatting throughout the day or maybe even back Facebook messaging throughout the day about like uh, what we wanted to do, some bigger ideas for the flow of it. But we had a loose outline that we kind of came up with and then it was just kind of like, yeah, we were writing it line by line together. We'd agree on every line pretty much. Yeah. Work it. In a way that when I've worked with other people, it's been, I'll write a draft, they write a draft, I write a draft. But yeah, with us, and part of it is because it's such a specific world we were trying to capture that we were both somewhat in. And even, I, I remember one time, I guess we needed one more scene. This was after the script was already done, we we're already cast and we we're like, we should add one more scene right here. And we we're joking, we we're like, that's a funny line. And we both looked at each other and said, but that character wouldn't say it. That's, and we just knew these characters by that point so well. We we're like, nope, that won't work. And we're just on the, it's funny, during the entire writing, we're just on the exact same page about what the characters would and would not say. And we're like, nope, that doesn't work. She wouldn't say that. We had to change the line. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. To some degree, uh, it seems like movies, are, movie scripts are still being worked on and edited throughout shooting. Whereas I don't know if there's really a, like a, something similar with writing like once it's published it seems like it's that's it like, yeah i mean you hear occasionally writers will like rewrite parts of their book yeah right. but no it's not really or just like what well, walt whitman like wrote leaves of grass a hundred times but it's yeah it is different like <laughs> there, there there is one final version that we have that now it's done it's right. online it's done uh, we were pretty open with the actors that if someone wasn't sounding right or didn't feel natural to them they would just change it and it made it flow better and it made it flow more natural so we were yeah. Totally happy with that, and that's cool too. So like, we were changing the line. Some of them were like, "I don't like this line. Can I say this?" Or they would just say it, and we we're like, "Yeah, that works. Like, yeah, that's that's better. You know your character. That's great." Nice. Was everyone uh, like an actor, an aspiring actor? We cast, um, I think, probably six, seven of them. Then some were just people we knew in the neighborhood who we wanted in it, who we thought it was fun, which a yeah. few of those were aspiring actors, but a few were just people who just never acted before and we just kind of talked into and said, hey, we think you'd be great in this. Yeah. We'd love to have you here. And, or something like, 
uh, just not to to Paul, but he, we kind of wrote the part for him. He was like, yeah, I'll be in it, but he's not really, he wasn't at the time really an aspiring actor. He just thought, yeah, it'd be fun to be in this movie. Yeah. We thought it'd be fun to have him play himself or play a version of himself. Right. Thought it'd be a fun little joke for people who know, right. but also add to the overall world of the movie. But yeah, we put out online casting calls, sat through casting sessions, did all that for some of the characters. And then some, it was just people we knew who, yeah, who wanted to be in it or we wanted them in it and were able to do yeah. So casting calls was in LA. Is that Craigslist or is that something, some uh, other form? Th there's specific websites you can use. There's, there's different processes. I think we were using actors access for this one. And then, uh -huh. yeah, there's places you can like reserve rooms for and just see them there and stuff that will then help you film them. And so you have their audition tapes. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. I feel like in LA, it's definitely going to be a little different than other random places in, you know, anywhere. Else, yeah, like, I mean, I've never made a movie anywhere else, but right. yeah, in LA it is. There's just, and it's funny, even our friends who were like, oh, they'd be good at it. It turns out they did want, they have acted a little bit before. At least they've been on film sets before right. and they know what they're doing. That's, so it's, yeah, very it's just, LA. Yeah, very LA, yes. That's, um, yeah, that's that's cool. I feel like that's definitely uh, a part of Los Angeles. I, I didn't even like begin to graze the surface up when I was there. Right, I would say, I'm trying to thin what I only really started getting into this, yeah, probably after you had already left. So, yeah, yeah it took me about as long to get into that as well. Totally, yeah. I mean, not that it doesn't take, you know, a good amount of time to get into any scene in any city you move to. I feel like there's always a period of... Um you know that it just takes time to get into anything anyway. yeah just to know anyone or just yeah to just to meet people and talk to people yeah yeah for sure though i do feel at least at the time when we i had echo park fairly easy to you just start meeting people you That's just start true. going to shows you just start going to the same bars you see them so you not by now it's i'm playing magic at the shop and i just know people who play there and by now for my next movie i might ask some of them who like they work on sets now and stuff, so it's just, yeah, you, I, yeah. you know. You realize they actually, yeah, their day job is 100% something that's, uh, yeah, you didn't even know that for months. Before. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a very unique thing about L.A. I feel like if making movies anywhere else must be, like, ten times harder because it's just not Los Angeles. Or New York, maybe. I mean, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I've heard other by. cities have other scenes. I'm sure they do. I've just never been part of them, so I, yeah. I don't know, but, Yeah. So I wanted to ask you too, um, indie rights films, uh, is that, so, so you probably created that for uh, Pool Party 15. Oh no, indie rights is not us. That's oh, a, we okay. license, yeah, that's a, a distribution company that we licensed our movie to. Okay. They take a percentage and then they got it on all the websites. So they, oh. they already have an existing relationship with uh, Amazon Prime, gotcha. I believe with Tubi and a few, and a, I think a few other places. And so they already just had an existing relationship. So they got us into all that without us having to worry about it. That's interesting. Is that, um, so was that also something you found out or hooked up with through friends? Pretty much. It was a friend's girlfriend's friend who was a director. We all went out to dinner one time right after they had seen the movie. And I was saying, oh, I don't know where we should put it, where this. And he said, oh, I put all my stuff through indie rights. Just email them and they'll watch the movie. They'll, I mean, it's not just guaranteed, but they'll like look at it, see if it's something they want to work with and then do it. So we just, yeah, we just... Our producers emailed Indie Rights, talked to them, and they got us up online. Cool. That's great. Yeah, that's great. Like any successful and, and impressive work of art, I feel like the stories of how these things come to be is all like, it's all like a, a slam dunk in some way. It's like, well, all five of these things <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. to get through to the, the successful point that they needed to for this to exist in any way, shape, or form. So yeah, that's, that's well, yeah, it makes sense. That's cool. Do you have any other, any sense of what other kind of films uh, like that they take on? I think kind of all kinds of stuff. I uh, check out their Instagram sometimes and there's like, gangster movies there's yeah. horror, a lot of horror movies but also yeah. um some indie dramas i think they do just a lot of like low budget indie stuff so ours yeah. was perfect i think ours was probably a little lower budget than they normally work with but i don't think even completely it's yeah they kind of just do i think a wide range of um movies from what i've been able to gather yeah do you feel comfortable mentioning what your guys budget was oh uh, yeah sure um it was I mean, I don't know the exact figures, but it was under 30000 for the okay. whole thing. Yeah. Which, for me and you, I think that sounds like an amazing amount of money. And believe me, it was like, <laughs> sure, I, yeah. I, I was like dragging, like, you know, I, like, I haven't like traveled in a while. And so I like, definitely like borrowed favors from people and all this. But yeah. for like a movie, it's nothing. Right. It's like, it's not even a low budget movie. It's like, they call it a micro budget. I mean, when yeah. we submitted it, we submitted it a few festivals, nothing really happened. But anything under $100,000 is considered micro-budget for, for most sure. festivals, for which sure. is just... But yeah, people talk about low-budget movies being a million dollars. I'm right. just looking at it and thinking, I don't even... I mean, we're lucky now it's a little easier that you can film on digital, you don't have to be carrying around film, you don't have to be yeah. doing this, but 
even still, and yeah, we were having pe- we were calling in favors on people working on it and everything, and we still ended up spending that much. It's a totally. wild world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that um, yeah, that's that's really impressive, and at the same time, it totally makes sense that that's like you know shoestring budget kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, we discussed like briefly cameras texting a while back. It just sounds like the equipment alone makes it seem like an impossible thing to make a quality movie, but it's not true. It's just like yeah, the money right, and is I think so you can- different. Right, and we, and I mean, actually, I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, just thinking about our call we'd be having, and I was thinking about how writing a movie is so different than writing prose. In that, when you're writing prose, you can just, if you want something that costs money to be in there, it doesn't matter because it's you just wrote it. Right. Well, I'm reading this book right now, Duplass by uh, Catherine Davis. I don't know, it's something like it's about like a suburban town, but there's robots in it. I'm just thinking, well. <laughs> So you just yeah. write this, and it's just this quick little novel. It's fun. It's good. I'm getting into it. This is a movie. I would be like, how much would it cost to get even just even if you had cheap costumes? That's yeah. another cost, and all this yeah. and any costumes right. at all, right? It's like unless right. you and, get real creative, and your kids are who knows, you know? Right, exactly. All this and in pool party, even stuff that you wouldn't even think costs money. Like we wrote more, I, the movie opens with a bunch of people driving up to the party, and yeah. in the script, there's a few extra scenes of that because. We always like to daisy diffuse people driving around. So we thought, right. oh, it'd be fun to have people drive around a budget our movie. I bet it'd be super cheap to film. There's no sets, but to have it look professional, to have it look like it looks in most movies, you have to hire an entire other part to hook onto the car and have a rig and all that. And that's just out of our budget. And we, I like what we did in our movie. It's handheld. It's more intimate in the cars, but you can't have that for as long as we wanted car scenes to be. Right. Kind of a big important part of that movie is, is how everyone gets there, which makes it seem real. Right. Yeah. And believe me, in the script, it was another like three or four pages of like, just like people just like driving and bullshitting <laughs> and, you know, just hanging out. Like, I mean, I like, and I'm really happy with what we have, but it's just funny. We were just like, yeah, I mean, we could have, we were just thinking, oh, that's going to be so easy to film because so many movies have that. Mm-hmm. And like, there's no real setup or whatever. And they were like, oh, unless you want all the shots to be really in people's faces, which is good, but just you can't have that go on as long as we originally had it written. Did you have to do multiple takes of, of like the same car conversation in order to get the... Um... Oh, yeah, we were doing... Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. what's interesting is the hard part about the cars in particular is we couldn't be in the cars because there's only room for... And even sometimes the camera guy couldn't be in the car, so he would just we'd hook the camera into the car and have the actors basically do all of it. And right. we have the uh, like a lead car with the mic, so we could hear what they were saying. But uh-huh. <laughs> it's a lot more difficult when you don't have that whole rig that would have probably been our entire budget if we had died one, you know? Right, and I'm sure people have made movies where it's just all car, all car stuff. Oh yeah, sure, and it's just. For, and for like a, a Hollywood movie or something, they don't even think about it because it is much cheaper than getting a set and all this. But right. for us, it was just, oh, we're just not doing that. Okay. And that was fine. It, part of the fun of movies is they say one of the things directors do and one of the things producers do is problem solve. And that really is. It's just like, oh, we don't know what to do today or something's off today. Well, we just got to figure it out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if money is going out all the time. I, it's, uh, it is wild how fast money just just goes yeah yeah that's somebody who has to figure out what they're going to spend their time doing that's a a valuable position (laughs) yeah i don't know why i'm still on this car thing because it's really fascinating to me but like so there would be like a few cameras in in the car right like maybe one for every person for when they talk uh no we only we only ever i'm pretty sure if i remember correctly this was a few years ago we only ever used one camera and then so we would just shoot and like this is in all the scenes so we just shoot the scene from different angles gotcha so you'd have to rotate through and I mean, we were doing it like, uh, normally you just call it like different coverage of different scenes gotcha. and then you would just splice it all together. So like, yeah. So like, um, drive down the block all with one person getting their lines and then back up. Right. And normally you have them all say the lines, at least for the main setup so that it still flows natural. Mm-hmm. So you can catch that sort dialogue, but also just so you can get people's reaction faces and stuff too. So yeah. it's not just, just, I mean, you don't want to just have the camera on the person saying the line all the time. Right. Right. Sounds like to some degree like a, a negotiation between like resource filmmaking and like li- and like the the real deal. Um, not right, that yeah. there is a difference, but like you know what I mean. Like no, I, I believe me, I know industry it is. and and scrappy. <laughs> right, and it's it's funny, and like I think this is something I still don't fully understand. Yeah. But like, because I just love watching movies, so I'll watch a movie that has you know, a $200 million budget. And then I'll watch a movie <laughs> yeah. that has maybe a hundred thousand dollar budget. But, like, Oh, these are the same fit. And yes. they're really, they are, but they're also not, you know? Do you have any sense of, of how, uh, just, uh, like minor CGI can increase a budget? Oh yeah. I, that's, uh, just, I don't have the specific figures, but just incredible amounts. Yeah. Crazy, that right? 
it is just I mean that's why and I mean I don't know minor but yeah something like those Marvel movies that are all shot with CGI it's oh, just God, yeah. those are yeah two millions and millions of dollars you try to film our entire movie they wouldn't even notice it in the budget you know like <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Like you could just slip it in there, like a I'm sure movie I would like. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you could, and they just wouldn't notice. You just, yeah, it would just, yeah. It's like a like a like a house bill. You just like tack tap it on at the back of the you know this I'm like sure, yeah. bill, and you're like, oh by the way, we're gonna <laughs> film an entire other movie. Film just a fun little indie dramedy. Don't worry about it. You won't yeah. even you won't even notice it. <laughs> That's what I think. So I'm just thinking. Sometimes when I look at this, I'm like, you made this movie for this much, or you should have made. 250 separate million dollar movies you know but yeah, exactly. I, budget wise it doesn't make sense for, i don't know yeah. it's not me making those decisions but <laughs> and a million dollars like that's what um i don't know if it's greta gerwig or um uh, one of their first movies was like a quote-unquote small budget film that was like a million dollars right yeah Jesus and that's just i mean part of it is you start paying actors with like sad rate and just you start paying more and more people and like all our actors worked uh, basically for free, so yeah. that cut down on costs incredibly, but it's also like, I believe people should get paid. So at right. some point, I would like to make a movie where people get paid. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The whole process is fascinating. I'm sure the, whoever, the person who, who, you know, comes up with the money is like a rather important person in a movie-making process. That is everything I've read about other movies that have big budgets. Even, I was just reading a... Uh, this book about the making of Bonfire of the Vanities, famous, like, bid bomb. And, like, I love Brian De Palma, but interesting, like, reading about him and just constantly, like, he's negotiating. They're, like, calling him in, and they're, like, you have to promise this day will cost less than, like, a certain amount of money. He's, like, I can't make that promise, but we need this scene. That's and then they're crazy. talking about all this money they spend on shots, and then they don't even use it in the final version. And, like, all this money they have just, like, hired actor they decided not to use, but they paid him just to come on for a few days and stuff. And it's just... Yeah. One famous person for 30 seconds would be like, oh, yeah. oh my it's... god. I try not to think about it too much. So at this point in the show, I asked Logan to make a ranking of works and uh, artists, directors, writers who were influential on him and his work throughout his life. Uh, so we kind of get right into that discussion uh, just to provide a segue here. Let me uh, start off. I guess, uh, so we're talking writers first. I've always loved Stephen King. I remember in high school, I think I've read every Stephen King book released up to that point. Like, I was just, I just fly through those. I haven't really read any in years, though I just reread The Stand a few weeks ago. Some stuff comes up in movies, too, and part of what I'm working on some of my future scripts is these horror scripts where, like, I, now I like horror movies, I like being scared, I like all that, but as a kid, I hated them. I hated totally. being scared, yeah. and with Stephen King, it wasn't even that I liked the being scared part. I just liked the character building he was able to do. And this is more true in movies. And I've definitely now found books that do the same thing without being Stephen King. But they build up. They just have slice of life stuff that you don't see in other stuff that's popular entertainment. That you see just people like living. Or even like some of like the Conjuring movies and stuff. Which are fine. But you see like a family moving into a house. Which is right. not. Unless a very specific type of indie drama would show that. But right. not really like a big popular work of art so like for me the first like 300 pages of a Stephen King novel which is like setting up the relationships in a town I <laughs> loved that yeah, and then yeah. he's a good enough writer he knows how to build suspense that I would get into the rest of it and be like oh no what's gonna happen what's this fear what's the terror but yeah, yeah I just remember just loving just seeing like what these relationships between these people and just like their lives and stuff yeah, I agree. There's some kind of like like attention to small detail in horror movies that maybe that's why I started liking horror as an adult too. Like really like in the last two years. Yeah, it was pretty similar for me. I think the last two or three years it was just, it's that. And then now I also appreciate the more gore. And I've always liked gore and action movies, but for some reason horror, I was just like, I was just scared. I didn't like yeah, it. But now, yeah. but now I still am sometimes, but it's, but it is, yeah, you just get that build and especially... Yeah. I mean, I think you, you asked me to talk later about, like, stuff that influenced me, but I don't know if you've seen the original Friday the 13th movie, where it's, like, probably, a, it's a low-budget movie that they kind of just threw together to capitalize off the success of Halloween and other more serious horror movies. Yeah. But it's just, the first half is just a bunch of teenagers hanging out, camp counselors joking around, <laughs> trying to, like, hook up, trying to get beers, all this, while yeah. slowly they're being killed, but they don't even realize it at first. And it's just, it almost plays just like, yeah, an indie drama yeah. where it's just super low stakes, except yeah. for there's one really big stake that there's a evil serial killer trying to kill them. But... Right. Yeah, no, that that's super appealing, that, that idea. Horror movies also just pay money. People, they turn around fast. It's easy to make a movie for not 
cheap but fairly cheap and turn it around and sell it because people always love horror but then you can also get in all these ideas about just hanging out and what it means to socialize in these ways and stuff yeah did um did paul ever talk to you about um hagasusa Oh, I don't think he has actually. No, I've, I actually haven't seen it though. It's okay. been recommended to me a bunch by a lot of people. Yeah, it's like a, a German film student's basically his thesis, and it's, it's really goddamn good. It's a historical horror, um, like meditation kind of. Nice. I will definitely be uh, checking that out soon. Almost no talking at all. Like it's 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 like really. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's amazing. More of like a tone, po- a horror tone poem. Ooh, I love you're, you're you're talking my language now. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's as it's as beautiful as it is like lurid and terrifying, which is Oof. like I think that's like how I like horror now. It needs to be beautiful evil stuff. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I know that sounds super interesting, and I will I will be checking it out maybe tonight. <laughs> nice, yeah, a bit of a tangent, but um, okay. So we got Stephen King. These oh yeah, have and to that be, uh, ranked, of course. This is just maybe oh no, yeah. Five. This is just these are just five writers I think are interested that I wanted to talk about. Awesome. I just, yeah. <laughs> that said, we're doing a little more pretentious this time. Good. My boy James Joyce. I remember reading, <laughs> nice. reading Ulysses, and it's it's funny. Like one, there's multiple things I love about Joyce. Right. I mean, obviously he's an expansive writer. People have written, people spent their entire careers dedicated to reading him. So like, I'm not the first to say there's a lot going on here. But I, <laughs> again, one of the things I love about him, especially I think chapters, if I remember correctly. The first few Bloom chapters in Ulysses, so four, five, and six, mm-hmm. are just these like really hyper detailed stories about this middle aged guy moving through a city that Joyce knew well, and it's this very again these very specific details that kind of add up to a larger whole. Yeah. And like even though I've never been to Ireland, I wasn't alive back then. I did not have his experiences, but you get that kind of sense of universal truth based on these very specific details and just this very visceral sense that when he's eating the food that you can get the sense I think he's eating livers and you just get that sense that he's that you're in the moment there with him yeah and then I like later on he uses a bunch of more like tricks and gimmicks throughout the novel to really create this larger sense of the world he was using these different tricks he has that question answer format near the end or but then he has this long monologue for the last chapter it's all just create this larger sense of these three characters relationships and I just I love it yeah yeah that's really that's really cool I think the only Joyce I've ever read is a portrait of an artist uh, as a young man. But I, I do remember, like, dead center of that book, there's, like, a like a 30-page nonstop sermon about burning in hell. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that, that stuck with me. I was like, wow, he's just doing it. He's word for word this entire story. Yeah, yeah. That, that is I – I find <laughs> portrait of an artist like definitely, like, a more challenging work because it just says stuff like that in there. And it's like, I don't – I've reread you I, – I mean, I – I've reread Ulysses about a couple times, but all these parts of it I'll like pick up and look through. But yeah, I don't know if I've ever reread Portrait of an Artist. And even just the beginning of Portrait of the Artist where he's a baby and you just, it's almost written in that baby speak. It's its interesting. He's definitely trying fun stuff. I like that sense of play that I find Joyce has, though mm-hmm. I've never read Finnegan's Wake, which I'm sure has that and people love it, but that might be a step too far for me, but who knows? Maybe someday. Interesting, yeah. Um, what else you got? All right, I got, now we're doing, because we're talking movies and stuff, I thought I'd go with uh, Richard Linklater, the guy who uh, okay. wrote and direct Dazed and Confused, which yeah. is obviously one of my favorite movies. I remember when I first saw Dazed and Confused, I was just like, you can make a movie like this that's just fun. There's no, I was blown away the first time I saw it. Probably end of high school, maybe early college. And I was just like, at, at a time especially, I was less interested in the more slower paced indie drama. So I wasn't seeing this just slice of life stuff. And I was like, you can make a movie that feels this fun, this like poppy, but yeah. still just be about teenagers hanging out. And I was just, I loved it. I've watched it more, probably the movie I've watched the most in my life. Yeah. And so, but and definitely when uh, Kevin and I were writing um, Pool Party, we were like, I, don't, I wouldn't even say our movie is very similar in a lot of ways, but we were always like, what would he have done? What would he have done? That was our <laughs> initial journey. Obviously, things have changed since then. But anyway, I mean, I love his other movies too. I've watched pretty much all of them throughout. I mean, even his more like popular movies, School of Rock he did, which is, you know, mm. it's a fun Jack Black movie. It's not great, but he still brings a touch to it. I don't know if he wrote though. I think he just directed that one, but yeah. I like him. But talk about him as a writer. He just creates these characters that Dazed Infused or Everybody Wants Some. I think he has a really warm sense of humanity yeah. and I appreciate that. And that's something that I think we try to do with uh, 
pool party I try to do with uh, my other writing is I try not to look down on the characters. I try to like have as much warmth as possible. And I know that's something Kevin and I always talked about before we were writing pool party that we'd like clown on other writers who like kind of more negative and more clinical. And we we're like, that's that's not a way to make a movie. At least that's not. I mean, there's definitely good movies that were made that way, but that's not what we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can get closer or farther from a character, how much ironic distance you want to make, sure, yeah. to make your point. And uh, I think, you know, it's funny you mentioned uh, School of Rock. I think that might be the only Richard Linklater movie I've actually seen. Oh, wow. <laughs> but, um, so you, definitely, you definitely have a different impression of him than I think maybe a lot of people do. But <laughs> That's the thing, though. Like, given that that is kind of a silly little movie, though, the fact that I, I know I've seen that at least twice is, is very telling. I just checked right now. Yeah, that was written by Mike White. But, yeah, he directed it. He brought his own touch to it and yeah. definitely had a feel to it so like it must be better than i mean it's obviously better than your average like you know kind of dumb comedy with jack oh for sure yeah he directed this movie a couple years ago where'd you go bernadette based on some Mm -hmm. novel i just think it was a great movie but there's just enough parts of it where i'm like oh yeah he really feels for these characters i was really moved by the end of it even if i was probably will never watch it again but i was just like wow i'm really having an emotional connection to these characters and that's i think a lot of it is his touch yeah yeah that's really cool that's really cool Then we got, um, I'm a big comic book guy, as I think you know, so Jaime Hernandez, who's one of the two brothers who did this comic book series, Love and Rockets. These two brothers are from Oxnard, they've always loved comic books, they uh, created this uh, series, they each do their own stories, and obviously I think Gilbert Hernandez, super talented guy, but my favorite has always been Jaime, starting off in the 80s with these like punk teenagers mm-hmm. they start off in these weird sci-fi adventures though they quickly lose that though brings it back in some like you know postmodern ways and stuff but yeah. it's basically just about these punk teenagers slowly growing up and by now the main character maggie 45 50 has like grown out of that life but it still has her old friends mm-hmm. the most recent story one of the most recent stories was her and her best friend sometimes lover going back to their high school reunion mm-hmm. and like kind of like getting calls from their current partners being a little jealous it's a slow sense of time building up over 40 years. As someone who doesn't make comic books, can't talk about it in like a super intellectual way, but the way he draws them and the way he chooses panels, it's so different from making a movie, even though they're both visual. But you have to choose each panel and what's in it and how they go next to each other yeah. in a way that's not like choosing a shot, because a shot has stuff bouncing back and forth all the time. But you gotta be very careful about what you choose, and he just does it, I think, one of the best ever. But from a more storytelling perspective, I think what's been influential on me is, again, this sense of details, the sense of like these small moments in people's lives that kind of build to something bigger. That series or maybe uh, the, the like life's work in its total was reviewed at some point and I read, I must have read about it or something. I would, yeah, I would highly recommend it. It's a little bit of a pain to find it in the right order and stuff, but uh-huh, uh-huh. I, but it is, I find it, and by now especially, I'll, if I buy an old random issue, just as it's cool to have the, uh, that document of the original when it's both brothers working together yeah. and it's just snippets of each story, I just love picking up and flipping through it and just seeing how he's telling that part of the story right then. Right, because that must have changed subtly too over that many years. Oh, yeah. oh, and his, oh his style has definitely gone from... He always has a kind of cartoony style, very influenced by early Archie comics, though influenced by a lot of people. But then it's gotten more realistic in parts. (laughs) His early stuff was definitely more like superhero influence and they were in weird, the main characters on these adventures that kind of with flying cars. Then she would come (laughs) back to her barrio and hang out and the hoppers, which is, I think based on Oxnard, where they grew up, mm-hmm. these very like hyper-realistic stories. And kind of, he was always able to blend both worlds. Yeah. Her aunt is a professional wrestler who always <laughs> comes in, and yeah. it's like goofy, but it's also very real. And he blends both of that very well, which is something that, yeah. I mean, hopefully someday I'll be able to do a project something like that where you have those more fantasy elements and then the more realist elements that just work towards the larger whole. Yeah. Do you, um, how much does that sort of thing, uh, factor into, into your writing process when you're thinking about doing a movie? Like how much is like feed, like logistics? It depends. If it's a script that I think would be easy to shoot, it comes into it more where I'm like, oh, did this, and if it's one I want to direct, it comes into it more. But then I also, I have some projects where it's more like a horror script. I'm just like, I'm just going to write this and it's partially an exercise, but partially maybe someone else will direct it someday. Maybe I'll get funded someday. So it's, Sometimes it's fun to write something where I'm just like, you know what? This would cost as much as we want, and we just go for it, and someone else will figure it out. But the next project I'm working on, I was, even when I was writing it, I was like, this is, I, this has to be low budget. This has to be, yeah. and I mean, part of it was, I wanted to write another movie kind of about 
handing out in Echo Park. So I knew it could be low budget. And I was just like, okay, well, this is going to take place in people's apartments and it's going to take place in bars. And that's nice. it. And yeah, 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 yeah. Nice, nice. So it's, um, that's, that's cool. So you can, you can turn it on or turn it up, turn it down, depending. Pretty on. much. It's definitely yeah. fun though to write, like if I'm writing more like fantasy horror or something, it's fun to just be like, hey, this is what happens and yeah. someone else will figure it out. It's, it's, it's a fun exercise. Definitely though, I do kind of know ahead of time what's going on. But then even with my next project, there's times where I was writing, I was kind of being a little more free. And then during the edits, I was like, I think I actually want to make this. Let's cut this scene or let's change this scene. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, what's your What's your last Oh, my last one. Uh, yeah. I went with a musician, uh, Guy Clark, the ah. country songwriter and musician. I listen to a lot of country music. I listen to a lot of like, current pop country, which is a little more goofy and fun. But there's something about Guy Clark where it's just, it's again these small moments and just small details he will have that will just add up to such a larger whole. Hmm. Like, I'm thinking of songs like Let Him Roll where they're just talking about this guy who's like, drunk on white port wine which is something i've never heard of anyone <laughs> drinking white port wine but just the way he crafts these little characters and stuff or i mean that obviously his best and probably most famous on desperado's waiting for a train this just <laughs> portrait of a older man who is like a role model to this guy just the way he uses each line to create this larger sense and to create this world is yeah. just I just listen to these songs over and over and over again, and they just blow me away. Yeah, I wonder if white port wine, is that even a real thing? I actually looked it up, and apparently it is that there's a type of port made from, like, white, but it's like, yeah, and I was like, is it good? I couldn't even tell from, I I kind of want to buy it and try it, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to be drinking white port wine, I don't know. Super sweet Riesling. Yeah, who knows, yeah. Crazy. There's definitely a thing, different um, folks we've interviewed where, uh, I've interviewed across like the the punk rock or the music podcast I'm doing, and then this writing one, where where like repetitive attention to like one specific thing that someone identifies as like like perfectly executed. Yeah, and you just like obsess and obsess to like learn every last bit of it. Well, yeah, and that's what I find so fascinating about music is that you just make one song that can do all of that. And I mean, yeah. I'm trying to actually right now, I'm trying to write some more shorts, something I could maybe film during COVID that which is like one or two actors, like real safe. But like, I find, I don't really think about movies in that time frame. But with a song, yeah. you can have in two and a half, three minutes, you can have just an entire world. And it just mm. blows me away every time. It's just such a different way of thinking about art than, or creating than I normally do. And it's just, totally. I'm so impressed by people who can do it. Yeah, no, no, totally. Um, so did I have you do uh, works of art too? Works of art. Oh yeah, you said works that were more like influential. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, let's 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 start talking about that. Yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So uh, start off, and this is the overlap uh, because it was such an important figure for us is Dazed and Confused again. Absolutely. And yeah. I mean, that was, I, I, we, I called it in my notes, I said it's the alpha and the omega for us. Like, it was like, <laughs> and it really wasn't. Like, the movie really, like, you, there's a lot of other influences and, like, there's certain ways we do dialogue that's different and, like, editing choices and all that are different. But, like, the initial thing was us joking around and, like, that was always, like, our shared mutual favorite movie. So yeah. we went into it being like, this was the movie. And then things change, things go different. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so I've spent a lot of time talking about that. But, yeah, that is definitely one of them. Then here's the other one, another one, and this is another comic book. This is uh, Eddie Campbell's Alec stories, which are these loosely autobiographical stories by this cartoonist Eddie Campbell, who most famous probably for uh, doing the art for the From Hell comic book. Uh, uh-huh. But he's this, I believe, Australian guy, and especially the first volume of these Alec stories, the Kin Canute crowd, which is named after a bar he used to hang out at, mm-hmm. and it's just. Him talking, uh, this guy Alec, who is him, talking to his friends and hanging out. And again, it's these very low state stories with details. And it's about how people interact in the real world, basically. And how people negotiate these social scenes. And but not in, like a, not in like a funny satire way. Just to know, this is how it is. And mm-hmm. I find that just so compelling and so interesting when it's done right. And yeah. I think, he, and also, and this is again, I'm not a... Not a cartoonist, I don't know this world, but his line, the way he draws, it really, he captures these characters so well. Cool. Yeah, that's super cool. And then we're switching. Now, this is something completely different. Um, And this is like, not directly, though, a couple scenes we kind of, but the Miami Vice movie by Michael Mann, that movie is just, it's a sense of mood, the sense of colors where it's not, doesn't, and this is not realistic at all, but there's, you're in this world and you just have this sense of these people mm-hmm. and just the colors. And then the one thing that I actually, I forgot even, but yeah, pool party, 
I don't know uh, when the Cole, the musician character, talks to the music producer. He leaves and then he sits there smoking for a while. And we call that our Michael Mann shot. We were just like, we just want a scene of someone just like looking in the distance while music plays. Like that would be one of these guys standing. And Miami Vice, there's just scenes where these guys are just standing on the roof. And with Miami Vice, it's great because it was one of the early days of digital camera. So they didn't quite know how to use digital cameras yet. And it was overexposed skies. So you see these weird purple skies in Miami where they're standing on the roof. And it just, mm-hmm. it is just creates such an incredible effect that. I don't know if I can capture the movies I made, but I would love to at least have that sense of mood and that sense of style in them. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's I mean, so many people talk about that movie. They're probably talking about that one, the best one, you know. Oh yeah, it is. It's incredible. And then what else? Oh, and then I wrote down, uh, and we just talked about this, but uh, yeah, Friday the Thirteenth. Mm-hmm. That for me, writing, kind of watching that and watching a bunch of slasher movies, kind of I'm like. And I have a couple slasher scripts I'm trying to work on and all this with some other friends. And that's, it's just the sense that you can do this hangout movie, but also have this whole plot going on. So it's not just a hangout movie, but you're still getting a lot of what I like about the hangout movie. Yeah. And that's what, so yeah, I guess we already kind of covered that. And then my uh, fifth one is um, the Friday Night Lights TV show. And it's oh, again, yeah. Yeah. it's this mixture of soapy, campy melodrama where it's just like these teens hanging and it's, so goofy because it's like it's a tv show it's on a network show yeah. but then it's also this very realistic portrayal of a texas town and it's able to blend those two so well and that's something i'm working on a new script right now that's kind of more of a romance and i'm trying to blend that like campy soapy element of a romance with like specific real details of what it's like to be alive yeah interesting. and i don't know if i did pull it off and some people don't think the show did i think it's no, I haven't watched it in years, but I just remember being like, I'm so invested in this dumb soap opera stuff, but I'm also so invested in what it means to be in this town that all they care about is football and all yeah. they have is this sport. And that they ca- all the themes they want to hit, they capture, but they still have all the fun melodrama in it as well. And it's, I think it's an incredible achievement. Is that, um, so I, I feel like I saw that recently on either Netflix or something. Like, is that been, is that recent or is that something that's kind of old? Um, I'd say, I think it's like 10 years old. Okay. And then the movies, I think about 20 years old. Because uh-huh. originally it was a book, Friday Night Lights was originally a book written about high school Texas football, which is, yeah. it's an incredible book, but it is depressing. And you're just like, wow, this is, it's, a window, at least for me, into a different world. That was not yeah. my experience in high school. That was not our high school football team, or at least I wasn't on it, so I don't know. But like, it did not. I was not going to every game. It did not feel like everyone in the town was hanging on to every moment of every game. And so the, the book was kind of a pretty realistic portrayal of it. Then there's a movie that's pretty good, that little more like drama and stuff. And then the TV show was then based on the movie and then but. It was like 20 years ago, as I said. Yeah, TV show was, I think, around 10. It was like a five-season run. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're going to do a TV show, it's got to just have tons, tons more than... Right, yeah, exactly. And definitely, they, like, changed characters, they changed this, yeah, it's... And, like, because the book was written in the 80s, it takes place in the 80s very much so, I mean, it's based on the real events, and then the TV show just takes place in present day, all this. Interesting, yeah, I wonder, there's something about the, like, kind of older uh, TV series, like, Melrose Place sort of came to mind when you're talking about, like, Los Angeles portrayals of, like, just young people hanging out and stuff um and I, I don't know if that's like a great analog but um i always thought of that that show as like a very very realistic thing for some reason oh, i actually I, I don't know if i've seen a single episode but i've always wanted to and i uh-huh. i really do want to dive into the older like 90s like big lawn shows that i really don't have that much experience with but i think i would really love based on a lot of what people have told me about them like that those sort of drenched in teenage angst uh, and like oh, sure, wealth yeah. and like, like the wealth and privilege and like may- maybe just like LA in the 90s is what's intriguing to me but oh no that that part definitely is and I mean I remember right after I moved to LA I don't know maybe I was in between jobs or something I just watched first four seasons of Gossip Girl you're talking about mm, drenched yeah. in privilege totally, that, totally. and that is that's all just a soapy melodrama you're not getting any sense of the realistic depiction of life but like <laughs> they, they, so when I'm saying like but I, I loved it like having that pure soapy melodrama that scratches a very particular itch for me and I love it and that's something I don't know if I can write or not I don't know if I want to write or not but yeah. every once in a while I just need that pure soap like drama of just these like dumb teens who are super rich like yeah. just like being mean to each other so that was our interview with Logan uh, I wanted to play a clip from Pool Party 15 so you guys could get an idea of what the film is about this is a clip from near the beginning of Pool Party where everyone's still trying to score a ride to the pool Done. No, I'll be there soon. 
I'm sorry, I was, I was just picking stuff up for the party. Yes, I'm, no, I'm in the car right now, I'm driving. Who was that? Uh, Eli. The girl from Cole's show? Yeah, she was a cool show. She was cute. Yeah, um, but she's adding people up to that pool. Did you see that text from Eli? Not the fucking group text? Nah, it's a pool though, man. Come on. Shit, I think I forgot my weed. Yeah, Don, it's been a long week. You're telling me. I passed out at like nine last night. I didn't. Oh. Yeah, I went to Prado with Chad and Cole and Rachel. And then Nike met up. Oh my God, and Jake was there too. Fun. What about you? I told you I passed out at like nine. Let's go. I was actually planning on going to that Views bookstore up in Burbank. I'll pay for gas. I don't even know where my swimsuit is. Come on, let's go. Guess we are driving Paul too. Paul's cool. You guys know that beavers are the only animal other than humans to permanently alter their environment? Two! We're in! Let's go! Your fucking time, dude. Oh my god, you guys. I'm never going to Alvarado House again. What? You're at the Alvarado House? Yeah. After Max's. Girl, I don't want to talk about it. Let's go to the pool. You guys are at Max's? <sighs> Yeah, these pieces of dog shit. Unbelievable. So that was the writer and director Logan Garrity. His debut film, of which we just heard a clip, is called Pool Party 15. It's available on Amazon Prime. This has been the Dynamo Lag Podcast. This episode is mixed by me, Caleb True. Music in this podcast is courtesy of Meeresfrukte. Meeresfrukte's music can be found at meeresfrukte.bandcamp.com. If you have questions, comments, or concerns, we can be reached at dynamoverlog at gmail.com. And if you dig these interviews, please rate and review. Once again, thanks for listening. Till next time.